Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. I was telling someone before service this morning that one of the things I always pray for when we're when I'm praying for this service that it would be, as it said in Acts, a time of refreshing. Amen. How many would agree with me? We have had a time of refreshing. And we will continue to have a time of refreshing as we dive into God's word. Amen. 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 Yeah. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and we were in chapter, we are in chapter four, and we will pick it up at verse 17 this morning. Just as every parent in the world is thrilled when they see their children growing and maturing, becoming responsible young people, young adults, God is blessed as well, folks, when he sees his children making the transition from babyhood uh, to adulthood. And of course, we're spiritually speaking, right? He, he's just as thrilled as you and I are with our kids when they grow up and become mature and responsible. You see, God just wants his kids to grow up. <laughs> Amen? That's, he just wants us to grow up. He, we all know through life experience that some do. Some never will, and others reach for that goal on a regular daily basis. My question right now is, which one of those are you? Which are you? Which category do you see yourself in? Whatever, though, in any case, I just want to put your mind at ease, okay? Have no fear. You can just rest assured, because if you're amongst those this morning who have arrived... And you no longer need any kind of growth or anything like that. I just want you to know you can just relax. Don't leave, but relax because Paul's not talking to you. <laughs> Paul isn't talking to you, nor is he talking to those who are satisfied in just being saved. Got their fire insurance Good enough, right? Those who don't want to be bothered by any kind of that growing and maturing, serving and ministry stuff. So who is Paul speaking to in this passage before us? To those who are genuinely saved by grace. You know Jesus is your Savior. You know that you're headed for heaven. But you also know that you are far from where you ought to be. But there is a genuine desire in your heart, a genuine desire in your heart to be all that the Lord has saved you to be. Amen. Amen. Am I speaking to the right crowd this morning? (laughs) Your life may be filled with ups and downs with the struggles of the flesh and the spirit. You're not self-righteous. You're not self-confident and you're no longer self-reliant. You merely want to grow. It is with you, those, those who fight the good fight of faith and those who desire to love God more than this world, those who have a desire to get themselves out of the way, probably we'll say that another time or two before we're done, 
who are willing to lay down their lives and follow Jesus wherever he may lead. That's who Paul is talking to in these verses. Let me ask the question again, which are you? The marks in this passage, Paul shows us the marks of a growing, maturing follower of Christ. Let's pick it up at verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Paul is so serious about what he's saying here. He kind of graciously, compassionately pulls rank. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's, I insist on it in the Lord. Stop living like the Gentiles do. In other words, because you are a child of God, we've said this before, because you are a child of God, it's time to start acting like it, time to grow up. You're no longer a Gentile. And what does he mean by that? It means in this context, you're no longer an unbeliever who doesn't have Jesus in their heart. So not only are we to walk in unity as we've seen earlier in this letter, but Paul goes on to say that we are to stop with the futility of our thinking. Meaning being, check this out, that term there in the Greek kind of means to stop being mindless <laughs> or empty-headed. You like Maybe that one makes more sense with you. And start walking in purity. Creating me a clean heart. Isn't that what David prayed? created me a clean heart, oh God. You know why David prayed that? Because he knew he could not do that on his own. It would take God. He knew that he could not create in himself his own clean heart. We don't have the power either, folks, right? Like David didn't, we don't have the power to change our hearts. But you know what? We can change our thinking, right? We can change our thinking. We have the power to change our minds. If we stop justifying that activity or that habit, if we change our mind, God will do his part. And what is that? He will be the one who will change our hearts. But he won't change our heart until we change our mind change what we're thinking about because oftentimes what we're thinking about is likely wrong. <laughs> it's wrong if it does not line up with the Word of God. Look at verse 18 now as we move along. They are darkened in their understanding. They, referring to the Gentiles in this context again, the unbeliever. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So why is it? Have you ever wondered why is it that some people just seem to be so spiritually blind? Well, Paul tells us in another book that he wrote, Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. In fact, Dave Nutting referred to this verse last week. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile. There's that word again. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise in their own heart, right in their own minds, they became fools 
instead. In other words, instead of worshiping God, because the evidence of God was everywhere and all around them, is what Paul is telling us in Romans chapter 1. It's evidences everywhere. They profess to be wise in themselves, denying the evidence, thinking they had a better idea that they were somehow smarter. And that kind of thinking basically leads to self-worship, church. People being their own gods, their hearts are hard, and as a result, their mind is dark. Therefore, blind and ignorant to the things of God. This is hard for the sophisticated, educated people in our world to accept. Do you agree with that? This is hard for them to accept. Basically, they would say, how dare you call me ignorant (laughs) when they think we're the ones (laughs) who are ignorant Well, Paul didn't have a problem telling them that (laughs) because he does, right? But he isn't saying it because he thinks that they are intellectually challenged or stupid. No, not at all. He is saying the worldly knowledge that they did pursue and that which which they were promoting, thinking themselves to be so smart and so sharp, he's letting them know, what good is it doing you if it isn't taking you to God? What good is it doing you if it isn't bringing light to your heart and mind, but darkness instead? Without such a lifestyle that that God provides for us, their minds were not functioning properly. Or as we've heard said around here, their minds weren't right. (laughs) Look at verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. More of what? More of the immorality. Their hard hearts, which yielded a darkened mind, led to an increasing desire for an unholy life. Paul says they have given themselves over to sensuality, a life without concern for the consequences of their actions. That's what he's talking about here. They kind of are losing touch with that or have completely lost touch with that. The conscience not working like God intended for it to work. These unbelievers have lost all sensitivity as well or have no feeling about their immoral, corrupt, messed up, lost condition. Such people are beyond feeling either shame for their sin or even hope for something that might be better. They're just not there. Concerning, not better concerning the condition that they have and where they are actually before the living God. Ephesus, as some of you can remember, we've covered this in other series and studies that we've done, like the book of Acts, for example, we, we have learned that Ephesus was, in that first century that Paul is living in, a highly immoral wasteland. With its pagan temples on every corner, so to speak, and with its pagan temples that were dedicated to, to just all kinds of immorality. There was no shortage of immorality in the city of Ephesus. And so Paul admonishes and he warns This mathematical problem, it's not math, but it'll come across like it. Darkened minds 
plus darkened hearts equals darkened behavior. Pretty simple formula, isn't it? After Dr. Donald Barnhouse, the powerhouse preacher from a generation ago, has shared a message about the repercussions and consequences of sin, a young man had approached him after he was done and said, I sin. I sin a bunch. <laughs> I sin all the time, but it doesn't seem to matter at all. I don't think it bothers me one bit. I'm not haunted by it. I don't get depressed about it. Dr. Barnhouse looked at the young man and said, tell me, son, what would happen if I dropped an 800-pound weight on the body of a dead man? Would he feel it? Would he be in pain? Would it bother him? And of course not, said the young man, to which Dr. Barnhouse said, that's exactly the point. If you don't feel the weight of sin, if it's not heavy upon you, if it's not having an impact on you towards conviction, towards you coming back to Christ and getting your mind and heart right, that is evidence of spiritually being dead. Not a good place to be. Folks, I don't recommend it. And so we are being encouraged to heed the apostles' words. And if we do, this admonition that Paul is giving becomes our ammunition for a surefire sure sure, sure shot <laughs> at living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Yeah. Surefire shot at living a life that does absolutely please God. And please, mind you, that becomes the priority. That becomes what we're after, not pleasing ourselves, but pleasing Him. Amen. And so in verses 17 through 19, we see Paul's admonition. In the next few verses, we're going to see him laying down his argument to support the admonition. Look at verse 20 and 21 with me. You, however did not come to know about Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the trust that is in Jesus. In great contrast to the unbelieving Gentiles referred to as they in the previous verses, stands the word you. Did those, two, did those words jump at you? They, they appear both in 20 and 21. You. The Ephesian believers had been taught and they had learned Christ from Paul himself and other teachers who had come to their town. To know Christ, church, please hear this. To know Christ is the greatest knowledge that you could ever have on the planet. I don't care how well you know your sports figures or stats. I don't care how politically correct you might be. To know Christ is where it matters and what yeah. counts. Yeah. When you stand before God, he's not going to care if you're, what your political persuasion is. He's going to want to know what you did with his son and what your knowledge is of him. No greater knowledge to have than a knowledge of Jesus Christ. That knowledge is the truth that... And that knowledge is what opposes what this evil world seems to want to continue to applaud yes. and promote. 
Therefore, what the Ephesians and the other believers were taught should make all the difference in how they lived and who they were living for. It's as if Paul was pointing his finger directly at his readers and calling them out of this massive crowd as they're reading this letter originally in that first century church in Ephesus. Those of you who have come to know Jesus Christ, you have absolutely no business continuing to party it up with your old party crowd. Because those minds are still darkened. Those hearts are hardened. And whose lives are spinning out of control. You once were there. I've taken you out. Why would you want to go back? (laughs) In the original Greek text here, Paul doesn't say, You haven't learned about Christ, even though the English here translates it like that, but it's not in in the original text. He's not saying you haven't learned about Christ that way. He is saying you haven't learned Christ that way. In church, there is a difference. You see, you and I, we we could study all about George Washington We could get all kinds of books and read them through and through time and time again. We can go visit museums and stare at his statue for two solid weeks. But you're never going to learn him. You want to know why? Because he's not around anymore. (laughs) He's gone. Which again is the whole point of all this. Jesus is not gone. He's here. He's alive. He is risen. Which is why we can learn of him and not just about him. But this is the problem that pervades in the church today. People can think that they can get their Bibles and that's good. And read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and that's good. And do it for two weeks straight and think they know all about him. But that's all they've got. They might have information about him academically. But do not know him. And it's knowing him that makes all the difference in the world. To learn Christ's church implies communion and it implies closeness with him. And so how does this happen? As you spend time studying God's word, not just reading it, but studying it. Let me take a side detour for a moment. Some of you might be thinking, well, I read my Bible. I'm not real sure how I am to go about studying it. Pastor Dave, I know that you probably got all kinds of books and commentaries and all kinds of resources, and I do. But you know what? So do you. I have watched many of you time and time again get on your phones and search Amazon and Google this and Google that because you want to know about something. How am I doing? (laughs) I just threw that in. It's not in my notes. Forget charge. You have no excuse. Study. Go deeper with Jesus Christ. Because once again, as I said a moment ago, there's no greater knowledge to have in this life, on this planet, than the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So by, for example, by 
Read a couple of verses. Just start off with a couple of verses and then stop. And you may have to ask yourself, however, those verses are speaking to you. Lord, this convicts me. Deal with it. Or this challenges me. Or this reminds me. Or that blesses me. Or this encourages me. It strengthens me. It teaches me. Then, in doing so, you will be communing with him personally rather than just merely learning about him academically. It will make all the difference in your life, for then you will truly be learning Christ Jesus. Church, we can be taught the truth as it is in Jesus Christ the better we understand the Word of God, the better we will know the Son of God. Amen. You see, the whole Bible from cover to cover is a revelation of Him. You can't go wrong when you're studying God's Word, no matter where you might be in God's Word to get that done. When we've believed the truth, when we've received the way of life that is found in Jesus Christ, then we are to walk in it. Amen? And not walk after the example of the darkened, hopeless, unsaved world. All right, so we've seen Paul's admonition, and we've listened to his argument, and now he provides an amazing arrangement that helps us get this done with the help of God. Look at verse 22 with me now. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. The arrangement, take off the old, put on the new. As you learn Christ, you'll find. This is this amazing. Those of you who are serious about living for Jesus Christ and going on and pressing on in him and getting to know him more and more and more, you have found that the more you seek him, the more your knowledge increases in him, the more your mind begins to change about everything else that you used to think about <laughs> or buy into. You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't that what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12? That you may know what is good and perfect and the acceptable will of God. Yes, for sure. You see, living a Christian life involves two major concepts. If I could use that term. One, we must put off the old. This old self was the self that was, as Paul says, corrupted by the deceitful desire. This old self is separated from God while it is capable, as far as the world is concerned, of doing some good. Not so much in the eyes of God. Without him and apart from him, no good. Nothing but evil. We are born that way. And we will remain that way if we do not allow God to come and change us, to intervene and have his way in our lives. The earthly desires or lusts which we have, Paul says, are full of deceit. You know what's interesting? It's interesting how we deceive ourselves in thinking that we're not deceived. Think about it. This isn't bothering me. This isn't hurting me. Oh, yeah, it is. 
They promise one thing but deliver another. Therefore, we are to be smarter <laughs> than our earthly desires. Amen. God, outsmart them through by way of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are to be smarter than them. We recognize their deceitfulness. We call it for what it is. And as a result, turn from them. May I even say, if necessary, run from them. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. It's carrying on from 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. But here it is, to be made new in the attitude of your what? Minds. In contrast, we are to be made new in how we are thinking. Right up here, right? How? You are what you think. How many believe that? You are what you think. You move, we all move in the direction of what we put into our minds. So what you dwell on. So if you are not what you want to be, then you must begin to think differently. <laughs> if you are to think differently, you must put into your mind that which you truly want to become. Yes. Yes. If you do, the Holy Spirit will use it to change you to become what you do want to be. And hopefully, who and what you want to be is more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. If you don't, you will never be what you want to be. And it all depends on what you put into your mind. I, I hesitate in saying this, but I'm going to say it. This involves what you're listening to, your music, what you're watching. I know you don't like hearing that, because here again, it's like, well, that doesn't bother me. You don't need to be watching it if it isn't glorifying God in, in one way or another. You don't need to be listening to it. And you don't need to be watching it, it or reading it or whatever the case might be. Amen? Amen. The old self describes those areas of rebellion against God. We must forsake this former lifestyle like old, dirty, ragged clothes. We must shed our identification with our sinful past and live like new people born again in Jesus Christ. Yes, yes. To put off that old self will take a conscious daily decision to remove anything that supports or feels even remotely close to that old self and to those old habits, old habits and old way of doing and thinking. Like a dreaded disease, church, the evil nature of the old self spreads and destroys. Christ came to offer each person a new self. But he or she must desire Christ's help to put off the old self. Verse 24 and to put on the new self, created to be like who? 
Mm. In true righteousness and holiness. Notice the order here that Paul presents. First you put off the old, and then he says, and we are renewed in our minds. And as you begin to put on a whole new way of talking and living and thinking and behaving, your new lifestyle eventually becomes who you are in Christ. And please understand, this is not some kind of deceptive thing. It is a decision that must be made. People who are like Christ have made a conscious decision. And it isn't just a one-time decision. For some, it's like every other minute. (laughs) To decide to put the new person on. To put on Christ. And as a result, they become what they have chosen and wanted to be, like Jesus. When I was 16, in between my junior and senior year of high school, living down in Southern California, my uncle lived up in Northern California, San Jose, and, and he arranged for me to have a summer job up in San Jose. He was a transmission expert in overhaul transmissions, and, and so he sent a list to my parents of some tools I needed to buy. My parents bought me a plane ticket and sent me off. I got there and you know, showed up at the shop, and they said, Dave, what you're going to be is our R&R guy. I didn't know what that was. I thought, well, rest and recuperation, cool. <laughs> didn't mean that. It meant remove and replace. Remove the transmission, the experts would take it, fix it, and my job was to put it back. <laughs> my, first, my very first one was not an automatic, it was a standard transmission. They're not very big and they're easy to do. And, and it wasn't on a hoist, I was working off the ground, it was jacked up a little bit on a creeper. You guys know what a creeper is, that thing you roll around in? I had taken it out fine, it got fixed, and now I gotta put it back in and I'm got it, because it's not real big or heavy, I have it laying on my chest and I'm getting ready to put it in. The guy that was with me, kind of like my my immediate boss, was on the phone sitting on a chair so he could see me. And what I didn't realize is I was trying to put it in upside down. (laughs) He's on the phone. He says, can you wait a second? I'll be right back. Puts it down. Uh, Dave, (laughs) as he's looking at me underneath, you've got it upside down. Oh, no wonder it ain't going in very well. You see, if I merely just sit here and wait for something to happen, for my personality to change, for my heart to feel loving, for my soul to feel kind, I will wait forever. And so will you. I've got to make a choice. I've got to be the one who's doing the R&R on my life. I must choose to be Christ-like, and so must you. Christ-like and compassionate and loving and kind and patient, and as I do, as you do, we become all those things as we become more and more like Jesus. We learn more than mere information about him. We learn him, his life, his death, his resurrection, his lordship. 
in our lives. We continue to hear Christ as our teacher and we remain ever so closely associated with him. This means leaving behind the old values, the old way of thinking and living and doing things, the old choices that reject God. Ultimately, folks, reject God and his ways. I don't want that, do you? It means replacing them with a new worldview, a biblical worldview, one that eagerly cooperates with God's will and Christ's way. Renewal goes deeper than just changing our outer habits. It's an inside job <laughs> and work of the Holy Spirit that works itself out in, new, in a new will and a new attitude displayed in how we're living our actions, our behavior. And please do note, as Christians, we have not only simply changed our minds. This is, this is really cool. I, I like this. We have changed citizenship. Yeah. I love that. You see, that's, I think that's part of what Paul is thinking here and what he's writing in his mind. No longer act like those Gentiles do because you're not a Gentile, you're not a Jew. You now are a, are a believer. You now are a citizen of heaven. Yeah. Act like it. And as we do, we totally change all of this other stuff. We belong to God. Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians 5.17, a new creation. And therefore, the ideas and the desires of the old creation should no longer be controlling our lives. The simplest illustration of this great truth really can be found in John chapter 11. It's a story that you are very familiar with. Lazarus has died. He's been in the grave four days before Jesus and his disciples finally show up. And even Lazarus' sister Martha, when Jesus comes, she says to him, oh man, been four days. I'm sure he's pretty smelly by now. Did not stop Jesus. He says, the Bible says in John 11 that he spoke out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he did, didn't he? And he comes forth, which was a vivid illustration of something that Jesus had already said in John chapter 4, chapter 5, verse 24. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, whoever hears my word and believes in me and believes in who has sent me has eternal life. Think about those words as it's happening now with Lazarus has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Now notice our Lord's very next words after Lazarus come forth. He asks the people to remove the grave clothes. Get rid of the old, dead, stinky grave clothes. He doesn't need them anymore. He's alive. <laughs> it says there, let Take off those sayings and let him go. Wow. Isn't that a great illustration of what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 4? Why go around 
still living after we've been delivered from those old grave clothes, still living and putting on those old stinky grave clothes. Makes no sense whatsoever. Well, how do we do this? Good question. How do we take off the grave clothes? We've already been told in verse 23. <laughs> Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Physically, we are what we eat. I don't like it no more than you do. <laughs> but it's probably true. But spiritually, you are what you think. Consider David. I'm finishing up here. Who had always placed his confidence in God. Right? I mean, his, the theme of his life was deliverance. I mean, God was always coming through for that young man, right? Lion, bear, Goliath, and would, would become Saul, chasing him down to take his life. In fact, in the last recorded conversation we have in our Bibles between David and Saul, David is, has no problem declaring his trust in his God. He says to Saul, I don't know how all this is going to work out, but I know and I trust and I believe that God is going to get me through. And so having read that, it's interesting that just a little bit later, we find David taking his thoughts to a dark place. Surprising. That somehow David, in his thinking, in his talking to himself, had convinced himself in his heart that Saul would eventually catch up to him and take him out. Rather than reflecting on God's goodness and faithfulness, he allowed his thoughts to go to a dark place. His confidence gave way to depression and his faith gave way to fear. And so he went to seek security. I can't believe this in a city that was the enemy of Israel. The city was known as Gath. How many of you know who lived and came from Gath? Goliath and his four other brothers. Mortal enemies of Israel. And he goes and takes refuge hiding out from Saul in the city of the enemy. A decision that would lead to all kinds of lying and treachery and deceit and difficulty. And we can go on and on and on with that. You see, church, our thoughts really matter. They give rise to our action. In the case of David, we are so tempted to say, David, what were you thinking? How many of you thought that just in the last two minutes? <laughs> and then how many had the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and says, oh, but haven't you done the same? Yeah. We've done the same. We, we've gone there. We, we've done that. You may be able to look back on the chapters of your own life. Like David, you began to talk nonsense to yourself. Nonsense. Made foolish choices and, and found yourself trapped. You may be in that place right now struggling to stop your thoughts from 
spiraling downwards and leading you into a course of action that you know down in your heart is wrong, unwise, and maybe even dangerous. David didn't just need saving from the threats that was on his life. You know what David needed? He needed saving from himself. And so do we. Amen. And aren't you glad and aren't you thankful that God rescued David and God comes and rescues us? All through the cross of Christ. When you find your thoughts turning to dark places, church, then remind yourself of God's light and goodness, deliverance, and faithfulness. And let that shape your heart's response to the difficulties you may face and shape the course that you choose to take. Let it be the light of Jesus instead of the darkness of your heart and the old way of thinking. Get rid of the old clothes. Put on the new, and the new is Jesus Christ. I love what Billy Graham once said. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning, and we want to say thank you for your word. It is a a living book filled with your living words to make a difference in our lives. God, I pray that you would impress upon everyone in this room to not settle for just knowing about you and hearing about you. But may our desire be to go deeper in our knowledge of you, Lord, so that we learn you and not just know about you. And we learn you by going deeper in our walk with you and our getting ourselves out of the way and our getting rid of the old and making sure it stays away and stays off and keeping on the new and making sure it stays on because that new self is Jesus Christ. There's no better way to live, no greater knowledge to have than Jesus Christ. May we walk in that and may we live in that for the rest of our days. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up my heart.